Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. So the cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will sell a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Interesting words. Mike, would you like to come up? We'll just pray for you and then we'll have a listen to what God's speaking through you to us about. Wow. Okay, (laughs) let's just pray for Mike. Father, we thank you for Mike. We thank you for all that he's going to say to us. And Father, we ask that you will anoint Mike to speak your words, that you will bless him with your spirit, and you will give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. Amen. I can see a few people looking at the suitcase thinking, how long is this talk going to (laughs) be? Absolutely. Well, there is a reason for the suitcase um, and the backpack and the jacket and everything else. Sorry? Exactly. So I've, uh, I've been away. This is my first Sunday back in this service. I was here last week, but I was over in the youth in the quiet room in the corner. It's very contemplative, very relaxing. But anyway, it's nice to be here with the noisy bunch. Um, so uh, I've been away for a month, uh, which is good fun. And I had a chance to go to South America, which is why I was asking questions about who's been where and who's travelled. Now, we're not going to do a who's been to the most countries competition, because we've got Mike Gowan, we've got Bill, and we've got Chris in the room, and that could all get quite messy, because the numbers will be huge. But um, it was quite fun for me, because I got to go to my 50th country on this trip, which was very exciting. I really enjoyed that. Um, And you'd think, after, well, I mean, including that one, 50 countries... I kind of know what I'm doing when it comes to traveling, and in particular, packing. Yeah. No, not really. You see, um, I was going for a month, which is quite a long trip. Normally, I do sort of like something short for a week, you know, you need like shorts and some suntan lotion, you're sorted. But this was a month, and I kind of got a bit carried away because it's a month, it's a long time, and I don't like doing loads of washing, so I thought I'll take some stuff. So I had my uh, suitcase here. Exhibit A, it did survive, which is impressive because it was seriously full. I mean, 
Just to give you a flavor of this, the rough list was smart shirts, casual shirts, t-shirts, shorts, summer trousers, black jeans, wash kit, medical kit, sewing kit, laptop, keyboard, mouse, socks, underwear, swimming shorts, adapter plug, phone charger, power cable, suntan lotion, after sun lotion, and about six books in case I needed something to read. That's what I took with me. This case and I had a fight because I folded it all and rolled it all and put it all in and thought it'll be fine and went to close it and then realized I'd only got about a third of the things I've just listed and put all those in as well. And then it's the only time in my life I've ever genuinely had to sit on a suitcase to get it to close. And even then it wasn't having any of it. And we ended up in this kind of bear hug situation and desperately trying to work the zip round and get it to fasten and it did and it closed and it just made this creaking noise and I'm like I think it might actually explode and then I realized I'd forgotten something I had to open it again and I did I sort of opened it and it went woomph and things were like jumping out all over the place it was ridiculous I mean it was absolutely ridiculous it wasn't massively heavy but it was ridiculously full by the time I'd finished and fought it into submission and closed it again, nothing else was going in that case. It was full. I think I'm gonna lose my rucksack for a moment. Just so you know, this was it. It was this rucksack, this jacket, which has got like zips on the pockets, they were full as well. The rucksack itself was full because then I kept finding things and like trying to work out where to put toothpaste and stuff. And then that case, and it was just creaking packed to the brim. We'll come back to the case. Don't worry, it's empty this afternoon. It's not about to go bang. Thank you for reading the passage and working through it. I don't know if you spotted, <clears throat> but there are some passages in the Bible that you read and I don't know about you, but I immediately feel comfortable. There are words that sort of speak to me and they speak comfort. They speak blessing. You know, words about how much God loves us, how much he welcomes us. Some of the things we were singing there, that brilliant song that's based around the idea of the prodigal son about God rushing to welcome us. I don't know about you, but today's Bible passage isn't really one of those. I mean... Any passage that sort of starts off fairly on with Jesus turning around to a bunch of people and saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and, uh, brothers and sisters, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a bit tricky. I mean, that's tough. Because I don't hate my dad. I mean, my brother's, but you know, he's a younger brother, so that's how it is. Um, but my, my dad and my sister, my sister came round today and she brought like nephews and nieces along as well. I don't hate them. So we need to have a look at this and work out what Jesus is talking about. And let's be clear, because this is a quote. This is what Jesus said. So I did something I don't do very often, which is I thought, well, have a look at some Greek. That'll help us out. Get into have a look at Greek because lots of New Testament's written down in Greek. We've got Greek translations, and quite often words in Greek, when they get translated into English, we lose some of the flavour. I thought maybe there's an out. 
Maybe the word that we're getting hate, when you look at the Greek, it actually doesn't quite mean hate, it means something else. And we're going to be okay with this. Yeah. So the word is miseo. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but it's okay because I can't spell it either. Um, and that we translate as hate, but there is an alternative word for it, which is detest. That doesn't really make this an awful lot easier, does it? I mean, okay, so anyone who comes to me and doesn't detest their father and mother is not making this suddenly warm and comfortable. And, and the thing is, because translation is difficult, but this word gets used quite a bit. Luke uses this word seven times, and actually Matthew uses the same word seven times. And every other time that it's mentioned by either Matthew or Luke, it's really obvious that when Jesus says hate, what he means is hate, because he's talking about people hating us, people hating his followers. He's talking about enemies hating people. That's the word he's using. There's not a lot of wiggle room on this. Is that really what he wants us to do? I mean, this is controversial. This specific verse is a verse that some people have used to say, that proves Jesus isn't the Messiah. Because the fifth commandment is to honour your father and mother. And he said, you have to hate them. Now, that's the sort of thing people come up with. What do we do with this? This is, this is difficult. This is hard. Well, let's see if we can work out where we're going. So first of all, Jesus knew what the fifth commandment was. I mean, obviously he did. He was a Jew. He memorized most of the Old Testament. He knew it extremely well. And we know that he knew it because he quotes it. He literally quotes that commandment in Matthew. He talks about it. So we know that he knows that's what God wants us to do, to honor and respect our families and our parents. So if he knows that and says something else, he's doing it intentionally. He's doing it to grab people's attention. And he does that quite a bit. If you think about Jesus, when he talks, he almost never says the thing you expect. When he's talking to people, he says things like, love your enemies. He turns things upside down. And for him to turn around to a crowd of people and start talking about come and follow me, and then talk about what it's going to cost. He wants to get people to take it really seriously. So he uses extreme language to try and get through to people. I'm really serious about this. And he also uses a technique in teaching and in public speaking of hyperbole. You exaggerate something to an extreme to grab people's attention and make the point. That's where he's going with this. And I want to be desperately clear before we go further that Jesus does not want us to hate each other. He does not want us to hate our families. He does not want us to hate our parents. But he's trying to get us to think about something at the same time. And that's what we'll need to unpack a little bit. It is interesting, by the way, for me, just looking at this, that... Um, Sometimes you'll encounter people who say, well, I, I, I believe everything it says in the Bible. I mean, that's fair enough. I, I sort of say that as well, with the footnote that I haven't read every single word of it, So, but on trust, I'll take it. But I believe it literally. You need to be careful with that. 
because there's lots in here that is descriptive, that's decorative, that's creative, that's poetry, that's song, that's images, all sorts of things like that. And you need to look at everything that's said and go, what are we meaning here? Jesus talks very plainly and very directly, but we always have to make sure we understand where he's going with that. And this is, verse is a great example. It's not about watering down tough challenge. It's about understanding what Jesus is calling us to. This is tough language intended to shock and make a big enthusiastic crowd who are following him stop and think. I mean, this has got huge shock value. It's pretty uncomfortable for us. It's an absolute bombshell 2,000 years ago because family was everything. Everybody in that crowd knew who their family was. And I don't mean they knew who their mum and dad was. What I mean is they knew who their family was and they could recite their family back going through generations. They knew which family and which tribe they were. Their identity in terms of where they were in the people of Israel was rooted in family. Their support structure, they probably worked with their family. They would live in close proximity. They looked after each other. And the suggestion to turn around and do anything that set you outside your family was revolutionary. It would have been an absolute jaw-drop moment to the crowd. How, how can you be saying that? Are you serious? Actually, that's what Jesus was saying to the crowd. Are you serious? You're following me around. Do you mean it? Because it's not about numbers. It's about commitment when it comes to God. You see, we know, because we've read the rest of the book, and Jesus knew, because he was Jesus and he knows what's coming up, that they weren't serious. He knew that he was going to end on a cross, abandoned by almost everyone who was there. That crowd was gone. Of his 12 closest followers who had been with him through thick and thin for three years, one of them, one of them was there when Jesus died and a handful of other people. And absolute credit to those other people, there were more women there than there were men. The women stood with Jesus far more than the men did who followed him. And Jesus knew that when he said to this crowd, are you serious? That was the challenge he was throwing out. He knew they weren't. Funnily enough, this gets talked about not just in Luke, which is the passage we read, it's in the book of Matthew as well. The emphasis in Matthew is slightly different. I won't read the whole thing, but you can look at Matthew chapter 10 if you want to. And it says there, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's a slightly different emphasis in the way that Matthew writes it, but it's speaking into that same place. And in fact, Luke picks that up as well. In another place in chapter 9, Luke says, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. That there's a commitment in following Jesus. And that idea of following that's not a one-off activity. If you're following somebody and they're moving, you kind of have to keep doing it. Otherwise, you do it a bit and stop and they vanish. You know, you've got to keep going. And, and in case we didn't get that, he says daily. In other words, every day. It's an ongoing activity. It's not just a one-off. It's every day. 
How are we leaning into following Jesus? How are we setting everything else down and, in his language, taking up our cross and following him? Now, we could talk about what that cost looks like. But actually, I'm not the best person to do that. Unfortunately, the best person to do that isn't here. Because the best person to do that is preaching in the city centre. So while your homework is in about mm, two days' time, you need to go onto the Birmingham Vineyard website and you need to find the recording of Cap's sermon from this morning. Because Cap, one of our pastors, tells his story. And his story unpacks the personal cost of a decision to follow Jesus. Like, well, it's powerful, it's compelling, and you really go, gosh, look at the grace of God there. Isn't that amazing? So I'd urge you to go and download that and listen to that. It's actually quite a good idea to listen to some of these talks in different places anyway, so it's quite fun to hear what God put onto different people's hearts. But Cap's got an amazing story of becoming a Christian at 14 and the impact on his family and his relationships and how God brings blessing through that. But to the people that Jesus was talking to, to the crowd, I like it when Jesus talks to crowds, actually, because I'm not sure if I've been around, I'd have made it as a disciple. I and mean, there are only 12 of them, and they were all quite, you know. But I could probably cope with being in a crowd. I sort of like the crowd stuff, because I feel like I'm in the crowd that Jesus talks to. So I'll take that as a crowd challenge. And he's talking to this crowd of, crowd of people. And he is, he's warning them. He's saying, there's cost to following me. This might cost you your family. And that's still true. That's part of Cap's story. It's part of the story of a number of people that are in our church community. If you talk to some of our friends who've moved from Hong Kong and you understand what they've left behind and their breaks in family connections. And it may be true for some of you here. I don't know all your stories. But what I love is that God puts blessing onto us as well. Because we don't say we just follow Jesus. What's another phrase we use? We're born again. There's another phrase we use, that we are adopted. Well, if you're born or you're adopted, you've got a family. Friends, we're it. This is the family that Jesus is winning us into. We are family to each other. There is cost, but there is also blessing. And part of our challenge is to be that blessing to each other. But... Why is there this cost? Why do we have to put any of this stuff down in the first place? I mean, you know, kind of hang on to it. Well, Jeff, I think, talked about this last week a little bit as well. When we were looking at the passage of being invited to a banquet. And don't forget, what we're looking at today follows straight on. It's immediately the next bit that's talked about in Luke. An invitation to a banquet that was being turned down with feeble excuses and weak reasons that were to be too busy. What Jesus is calling us to do is empty our hearts of the clutter that we fill them with so that we're open and ready to receive the blessings that he freely and generously pours out to us, dropping the dull pebbles that fill our hands so we can reach for the gleaming treasures that he offers. But my family aren't clutter. I mean, you know... I love them. They're not dull pebbles, even my brother. I don't want to give them up. 
How could I do that? The challenge is one of trust. Do we trust Jesus? Do we trust that he has a plan to prosper us and them and not to harm us? Do we know? Do we know that he loves us and he loves our families? Giving up something like that to Jesus isn't about abandoning relationship. It's about placing our hopes, our dreams, and our concerns for other people into his hands. That's the hands of someone who loves them even more than we do, and that has the power to look after them far better than we can. That's what he's calling us to. And because Jesus is awesome, he tends to give practical demonstrations of stuff as well as talk about these things. So on another occasion, another crowd, I like the crowd stories, there's loads of people following him, absolutely thousands. And it's lunchtime. And people are getting hungry. And no one's got any food. Except this one lad. He's got his packed lunch. Now, I do quite a lot with the youth. They're quite food motivated. I mean, you'll notice when we finish this afternoon and there'll be food out, at some point that door will open. Do not stand in between the youth door and the food table. You will be stampeded. It's how they are. So imagine finding one of these youngsters, one of these teenagers coming up to lunchtime and you've got, he's got a packed lunch and he's the only person who has and you walk up and say, give me your lunch. He doesn't want to give that up. It's not a bad thing that he's got his packed lunch. In fact, it's very sensible. Well done. Probably his mum did it for him because it's been cooked nicely. But, you know, it's bread and fish. It's all, all well sorted out. He's got it with him. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to let go of that. He'd been completely within his rights to go, but this is mine. This is what I need for me to sustain me. And that would have been perfectly true. And nobody was going to criticise that because even if he does give it up, even if he hands over a few bread rolls and a couple of fish, there are thousands of people in this crowd. What good is that going to do? That's what Jesus is challenging us to. And you know that story, you know it really well. Jesus takes that and he blesses it, he gives thanks to God and he starts giving bits out to people and he starts giving bits out to people. And then he gets other people involved in giving stuff out because frankly there's so much to give out, it's ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. It doesn't just feed the disciples, it feeds a crowd of 5,000 people, except it's not 5,000 people because the language around there doesn't work that way. It's 5,000 men and the women, and the children as well, they didn't actually count. So we're talking masses of people, and at the end of it, there is so much, there are baskets of food left over. Because one person following was prepared to do something that made no sense at all, and give up something that Jesus said, please give that to me. That's how the miracle was able to happen because someone trusted and followed. And that boy got as much as he needed to eat because it says everyone ate their fill. And it's entirely possible. I'd love it. Do you know, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? If he had ended up with one of those baskets. Can you imagine him going home at the end of the day? You know, Where have you been? Oh, I was out with the crowd following Jesus. Oh, at least you had your packed lunch with you. Yeah, about that. A man took it off me. 
Ah, no. And he gave me this. I mean, that would just be awesome. I'd love, I don't know if it happened, I don't know if that's what happened to the baskets, but it would be beautiful if it did. That he gave what he had and he got back so much blessing in abundance. That is what Jesus is calling us to. So why have I got a suitcase? Well, because I like suitcases, this is the case and it was jam-packed. When I left Birmingham, it was absolutely creaking at the seams which was a bit daft because I've forgotten that I'd need to buy a present for Rachel and bring it back. Yeah, everyone's suddenly going, oh, yeah, exactly. It's all a bit tricky, isn't it? So I'm going to buy Rachel a present because I've been away from her and I've got to find somewhere to put it. So there's a bit of shuffling and it's possible that the present she got was actually quite thin and flat but, but because it's a beautiful picture and I knew that she'd like it. <coughs> it would fit in the suitcase um so you know there was an element of that going on so that was okay except also i had my birthday while i was away and i met quite a few people and made some friends and they surprised me and had a happy birthday thing up and that sort of stuff and then they started giving me presents to bring home and i'm just like i haven't i hadn't planned for this I'm not ready. This is getting a bit tricky. And so there was a bit of shuffling around and the, some, and the backpack was getting fuller and heavier and the suitcase really wasn't happy about any of it. But I was just about, just about okay. It was looking all right. I thought I got away with it. And then I got to the airport to come home. And something happened to me that's never happened before in my life. I got upgraded. I was absolute result because I thought, oh, that's fantastic. I got upgraded. It was just, you know, because the flight was full and whatever. So, but got bumped up to business class. Oh, lovely. Fantastic. You're going to sit down. Now, I don't know if you've done the business class thing, but basically the seat's a bit bigger and the food's a little bit better and you get stuff, free stuff. But you get loads of it. I mean, it was like, there's this amazing gift bag from the White Company. I have no idea who they are. Rachel's like, what do you mean you don't know who they are? We're talking toiletries, hand creams, eye ointment. I mean, the work, everything. Fantastic. But, but I've got nowhere to put it. I mean, literally, I can't, I've got, I, it won't fit. It won't fit. Do you know what? I took all that extra free stuff. I opened the overhead locker. I shoved the whole lot in there and closed it and left it. I hadn't got any more room for all this extra blessing I was getting. And when I got home and I started unpacking this suitcase, I hadn't worn most of the clothes that I took. I hadn't read any of the books that I took with me. I'd lugged halfway around the world and back stuff that I just didn't need for the journey that I was going on. I thought it was all vital. And actually most of it was stuff that wasn't needed at all. And as a result, I missed out on gifts and bonuses that I had no idea were coming. I just had to leave them because I was full of clutter. There's a song that we sing sometimes. And there's a line in it that goes, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. That is what Jesus is calling us to. Arms high, empty in praise, and heart abandoned. That's what this giving everything up is about. 
It's about abandoning the things that we carry closest in our hearts because we know, we trust that God has the best for us just waiting. We give everything because he gave so much more. The, the one who's asking us for our lives is the one who gave us his own death. We hand over our tiny power and influence to the one who commands the universe, the universe he created. When we lay down our lives and follow him, do we believe that what Jesus has for us is better? That what God has in store for us, his kingdom, is actually better than the life we might build ourselves? And that us, here, this church, is a place to build that kingdom together as family to each other. Just want to pause for a minute. Maybe close your eyes around the tables and think about what God's calling us to. Think about where there's anything that we hang on to tighter than Jesus. And we can pray that God will help us ease and let go. And think about what it would look like if we were really serious about the people here being our family. Lord Jesus, help us to come to you with arms high and hearts abandoned in awe of you, of all you've done for us, of all you've given for us. And Lord, as we lay things down before you, amaze us with the blessings that you pour out. Take our few loaves and fish and feed thousands. Take the people that we care about and love them more and better than we ever could. Set us free from the clutter that gets in the way of seeing you, of reaching grasping the blessings that you pour out. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.